express the bad feeling and hope that someone's going to come along and give them what they want. That's a process that's running continuously in the background. And we were never taught that that's what we were doing. So we have allowed it to continue to run in the background in an unconscious way. So rather than being taught that that's what we're doing, we're taught these fake reasons for the existence of bad emotions. Hello there and welcome back to the My Future Business Show. It's Rick Nusky here. I am your host. And you know what? I'd like to just take a second of pause to thank everybody for their feedback. In actual fact, this morning I was reading through some of the wonderful feedback some significant people in the industry have been providing about the show. And it's just humbling for me to know that the, the, uh, the show is making a difference for you now. And speaking of uh, making a difference, on today's show, I have the pleasure of welcoming author, therapist, coach, and trainer, Byron Athene to the show. Welcome to the show, Byron. Thanks, Rick. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolute pleasure to have you here. Now, you and I, we're going to be talking about a revolutionary idea that explains the real reason why we experience bad emotions and the therapeutic approach used to to both identify and overcome them. Now, what we do, it's, uh, I guess, a little bit traditional um, for us, Byron, to spend a little bit of time learning a bit about you. So where's home for you? With home, um, yes. I'm not sure how um, how well you know the UK. I, I I live in London, right, South London, a place called Croydon. Right, my wife used to live there. In fact, really, yeah, oh. absolutely. Not not in Croydon in the UK, but uh, okay. that's about as much as I know. This was prior to my time, but she said she loved the place. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. It's, it's I'm I'm proud to call it home. Fantastic. Now, what do you love doing in your downtime? Do you have much downtime? Do you have any hobbies? Oh, uh, downtime. I guess I like, <laughs> like watching, watching films, listening to music, playing games. Yes. Um, recently bought the PSVR two, so oh. I'm spending quite quite a lot of time in virtual reality. I bet. Now, do you get do you get um, dizzy or feel sick? Like you have some sort of like seasickness? Almost, I heard it's like. Well, weirdly enough, I mean, because this is the second iteration of the of the. Of Sony's foray into into VR. So yes. the first one, a few games um, caused nausea, but not many. Uh, it seems like I I had to almost like warm to this one a bit more because I, I figured that I'd jump in and it'd be the same as the first. And it's it's not quite. So no, it's 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 a bit more na- nauseating, but I'm just having to get used to it. Yeah, fantastic. Now, in terms of your, uh, I guess, your pastimes, do you enjoy going out for a meal occasionally? I know that you enjoy movies. And uh, do you go out or do you have movies at home? Yeah, movies at home usually. But yeah, yeah we, my, my, my wife and I do um, enjoy the occasional cinema trip. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes you just got to break away. Now, I'm going to talk to you about that in a little while, you know, because I think it's important that we all have downtime. So tell us a little bit about, um, I guess, uh, growing up for you. Do you remember any positive experiences that you had as a child? And can you share them with us? Positive experiences? Oh, God, loads. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Chocolate. Well, in fact, part of the the main thrust of, of the conversation will be just seeing... Um, explaining how you can look at your past in a completely different way. So whereas, um, I guess some events from my past, as I was going through them, I I um, I didn't really enjoy them that much. Mm. But on reflection, I can look back on pretty much all of my experiences and yep. um, and be extremely grateful that they happened. You know, one, ones that one of the things that I remember growing up was uh, having pets, do, and they were really a source of joy for me. Did you ever have pets growing up? No. No pets? Uh, no, I, I, I lived in a pet-free... Pet-free um, environment? 
factory environment, yeah. Now tell me a little bit, now in those formative years, was there anybody around you that really had an impact on your life? Well, I grew up, um, I grew up with, so it was my, it was my mum and two brothers, so yep. I'm the youngest of three, and there's, it's only one year apart, so my brothers, um, Bernie and Third, they were, they were a massive in, in, impact, and they definitely shaped my personality and my kind of intellect as well, so then my mum, my mum's like my hero, so yep. it, it, must, it, must have been, it must have been really difficult to, um, to raise three kids in a, in a strange land, <laughs> um by herself and so we, we did have extended family members but as far as i remember it was pretty much a lot of the time it was her on her own so yeah yes well they do an amazing job yeah definitely now tell me a little bit about uh, i guess mentorship i know that you're highly educated and i'd love to talk about that in a moment but do you do you value mentorship today uh i guess i mm. guess but I suppose again, like we're we're going to get into this. Yep. I, I I now have a different view about what a good mentor should actually be like, mm -hmm. and I I have and I'm, I'm not sure how controversial this is going to sound, <laughs> but but, <laughs> but. <laughs> I just I've I've just come to um I've come to see that 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 most um most intellectuals most um most experts most most people that we have trusted our um our kind of our, our more um expert guided opinions on mm -hmm. uh, they got it wrong yep so and I'll, I'll, I'll explain how I'll, <laughs> I'll explain how when we get into the meat of what i'm about to talk yes about. absolutely now well, look you know we always do this peripheral type of conversation. It gives great context to those who are listening to the show. Now, yeah. tell me, um, are you an early riser? Do you have a daily routine that you follow? And if you do, could you share it with us? Early riser, not particularly. No, I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I guess, but I, I guess I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite lucky to um, to be able to um, to um, work when I want to work. So my first slot is usually ten o'clock. Yeah, yeah, um, and so. I suppose I, I I sometimes get up quite close to that time, but other times because I'm awake and I feel like oh I'm not going to fall asleep again, I might as well get up and do something. So, but I I tend to not get up before eight a.m. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, having that ability to you know live life on your own terms. How important is that for you? Oh God, definitely. I mean, when I because I I I spent the first oh God. Um, how many years the first well the last the last full time office job i had i had mm. for 23 years and i just kind of assumed when i was doing that that, that that's what i'd be doing for the rest of my life <laughs> but after, I work, after i started to work for myself i thought there was no way i'm going back no. there was no way i'm going back to work <laughs> and like having to go go to the office and do that so i think i've i think i've spoiled myself now yeah, absolutely you've certainly done a lot of great work and we're going to be talking about a lot of it now I often, well, not often, I would say, I, I sometimes have flat days. And do you have any flat days? And if you do, you just want to pull the covers over the top of your head. And how do you get past them? Flat days. So, see, flat days are a thing of the past. They are. Because it's all about mindset, isn't it? It's all about mindset. Yeah, definitely. Well, so. well, tell us a little bit about mindset. You know, when you first open your eyes, you go, you know, you give thanks just for being alive, I, I presume. Now, oh, God, um, definitely. Yeah. My God. Yeah. What do you say so, to yourself? What's the self-talk like? 
I don't, well, I, I, I don't have to engage in that sort of self-talk anymore. It's almost mm -hmm. like I've just reprogrammed my brain to just be aware of it. So I don't, I, I, I don't have to tell myself the truth anymore. The truth is so blatant. It's just yeah. there all the time. Yeah, fantastic feedback. Now, now tell me a little bit. I, I know that um, you work with a lot of different people and uh, I often think about in terms of this line of conversation, the locus of control. Um, yeah. Now, tell us a little bit about the locus of control and, and, and what it means to people in, uh, I guess, your, your clients. Locus of control. Well, again, I don't want to sound controversial, but uh -huh. I, think, I think control is pretty much an illusion. illusion. I think... I think once we let go of that control and realize we don't really have control, really, and at, at best we have subconscious control, but then our sub subconscious can do whatever it wants, really. So we're not really in control. I, I think we can make choices and we can exert influence, but once we, once we let go of the illusion of control, then mm -hmm. we can be a lot happier. Because I find a lot of the time people are unhappy because they thought they were in, in control of something, but then when they realize they're not, that creates disturbance. Yeah, wow. Now we all live in a, I guess, a system, a, a macro system, don't we? You know, we're we're bombarded by daily daily messaging, and you know, yeah. uh, people trying to influence our, I guess, perception of of life. What's your view on you know social media and, and the on ongoing bombardment of marketing? Yeah. Well, I I don't really engage with social media. I've only got one social media account. That's mm. my. That's LinkedIn. Well, I'm, I've only got one personal social media account, Facebook, and one professional social media account, um, LinkedIn. So I, I, I don't really engage with social media as much but, as I suppose I could. Yeah. But I know I know lots of my colleagues do do really engage and mm. do do kind of benefit from the from the feedback and, and interaction and stuff. But that's that, that that's an area that I haven't really fully explored yet, ah, to be honest. Fair enough, fair enough too. Yeah, well look, tell us a little bit for context about your educational and professional background because I think people would love to hear about that. Yeah, sure, okay. Well, I guess I was, uh, I had a typical school background. So mm -hmm. went, to, went to secondary school, did exams, went to college. Then um, I didn't really, uh, at that time, I didn't even know what philosophy and psychology were. So I think um, because of because I was so close with my brothers, one of them found an office job, and that seemed quite easy. So I thought, well, let me try and take the easy path as well. <laughs> so that I, I I followed them. I followed them into into office office work. Yeah, which is what I do mainly. Yeah, fantastic. Now I, I, you talked about working uh, for many years as an employee. Now you had to take a chance on yourself was it did it feel risky and what do you say about risk and and, and believing in yourself and following your dreams nowadays to those oh, who God. might not well, have worked the path already yeah well see again i because of my view because my view is generally different i also have a different view about risk so yep. um when i when i left the office environment i um, I think I, I was just about to qualify as a therapist anyway, mm -hmm. so I didn't really see it as that much of a risk because I, I just assumed that I'd I'd get a job as a therapist or life coach um, someplace or another. I, 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 and this was pre-COVID as well, so mm -hmm. I kind of assumed that I'd, I'd be working for someone, but at least it would be working for someone in a job I actually enjoyed doing as opposed to working in an office and, yeah. and doing, doing whatever. But then, but then COVID hit, and so... Um, remote counselling became a, uh, a a thing, a big thing. So that's that's when I, I was able to 
start start my own business or start my own private practice and it was very busy straight away so i was um i was quite um obviously covid has affected a lot of people of in really, really, really ne negative ways but in some ways it, it's really it's it's really helped because it has helped us connect as a um as a, as a species i guess yes, in, in a way possibly wouldn't have been wouldn't have been as um as direct and interactive yeah, exactly. Now we're lucky. We've got some great technology that allows us to yeah. do this. Is that your primary modus operandi uh, nowadays? Is yeah. online? Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, I, I, I did when I, when I first qualified, I assumed I'd be pretty much just face to face. But then when I started to work remotely, that's my, that's my only, that's the only way I work now. I, I don't work in a face to face way. I only work in a remote. Um, yeah, remote environment. Now, who's yeah. your who's your best client? Who's who's your ideal client? Who are you looking to serve? Uh, anyone, mm. anyone, someone who wants to improve, someone who wants something better. Yeah, someone who wants something better. So, so uh, anyone. And I, I know when when I trained as a coach, we were definitely told to find our niche and don't be too general and blah blah. But I I I never agreed with that. I, I thought I'm not. I, I suppose from a marketing standpoint, then yeah, I guess that makes sense. But yep. I. I want to help everyone. So. Yeah, look, I've, I've got so many questions for you, Byron, so many great questions that I've come up with uh, based on looking at your website, which uh, we'll talk about in a moment. But tell us, what's a pluralistic practitioner? What does that mean? Pluralistic, okay. Do you know what integrative means? Um, it sounds familiar, but I'm, you can clarify it for me. Okay, right. So in, so an integrative counsellor is a counsellor who can draw on quite a few different approaches to help a client resolve issues as opposed to sticking to one or two particular approaches uh, so, so it, a combination yep. a combination yeah exactly so so pluralistic is almost well pluralistic is a development of that so it, it's just it, it's a practitioner who's able to draw on a number of um of different approaches and have um complete freedom and flexibility and hopefully skill to know which of those um, approaches will be most useful uh, in helping a client to resolve an issue. I often think about the Pareto principle. It seems to be omnipresent, at least in my life. Now, out of all of the different approaches that you have, do you have one that really um, dominates or is there a balance, you know, 25, 25, 25? How does it work for you, do you think? Uh, well, I, I guess the, 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 the approach that dominates now is my own approach, the approach that I've developed. Yeah, is there one like, is it psychology? Is it... Um, you know, can you elaborate on which one that you think um, your clients respond to most? Sure. It's well. It's like so. My my approach is called emotion focused free therapy, mm. and it, it's a psychological approach, and it, it did stem from a um, um, a tweaking of one of my life coaching programs, which yep. had combined philosophical things and cutting edge um, sort of more cutting edge contemporary practices. But my so my um, therapeutic approach. It, it 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 fuses philosophy with the best bits of some of the pre-existing approaches um, with neuroscience and a few of my own discoveries yeah and you do nlp as well is that correct you yeah that's yeah. a very interesting field tell us a little bit about that for people who don't understand yeah, nlp so nlp stands for neuro-linguistic programming and it's it's pretty much another phrase for brain language right. so if we want to if we want to achieve something, if we know how the brain works, if we know how the brain communicates, we're much more likely to achieve that thing in an, an 
in a, in a more elegant, effective and healthy way. So when you talk about therapy, you know, it's such a broad statement. I'm wondering if we can, I guess, define it a little more tightly and, and does anyone need it? And if not, why not? Right. Well, okay. See, again, I'm, I'm going to ban myself from using the word con controversial, but this might sound controversial, <laughs> but, but I'm, I'm a therapist who doesn't actually believe in therapy. Right. And I'll, I'll put that into context. I'll put that into context. So, yes, okay, so I don't, I don't, I don't think the world needs therapy per se. Yeah. Um, even though therapy can be useful, I think what would be more useful is psychoeducation, because I think if we learned some fundamental, basic things about the way we worked when we were, uh, well, how the mind works, how the brain works, when we were younger, like when we were kids, we wouldn't develop issues like anxiety, depression, but we don't learn those really fundamental things. So we then grow up, we develop these issues and therapy seeks to resolve these issues. And it's sometimes effective, sometimes not, depending on the skill of the therapist and the receptiveness of the client. So I think if we were, if we were more psychoeducation orientated mm -hmm. and we taught children what they needed to know when they were really young and when they could understand those issues wouldn't exist. Wow, so you're, you're suggesting that it's more about, I guess, being proactive rather than reactive, is that right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Do you yeah, think, it, think, could, so. do you think, think so. it could be embedded in the educational system from the get-go? Oh, God, that would... That would be ideal. Yeah. That, that, that would be ideal. I, I, I can't imagine it will happen in, um, in our lifetime. If it does, great. Mm -hmm. If it does, great. I think that would take such such a fundamental shift in the the way that education system seems to work now. So it's unlikely. It'll be good, but yeah. unlikely. Now tell me a little bit, Byron, what happened to help you decide that philosophy and psychology was your past? Was there a, a moment in time that you woke up and said, you know what, this is my path? Can you recall it? I, I can. So you know what, can I can I talk about the um the the actual um, discovery. You can absolutely, that, absolutely. Yeah, because that would that would put it into context. Thank that you. Would put it yeah. Okay, here we go. So, right. So when I was um, when I was when I was in fact, you know what? Okay. So if if you allow me, Rick. Oh, absolutely. But I won't say I won't I won't say what the discovery is. Right. I'll what I'll do. What I'll do. I'll if you allow, I'll take you through um, the type of approach I would use with a client to. Um, to expose it to them. So I'll, I'll, I'll yes, yes, please. So, but, but first, but first I will, I will talk about in, in answer to your question, yep. I'll talk about the conditions that led to me discovering the thing. Then I'll, then I'll say what the thing is. Excellent. Okay. Right. So when I was, when I was 20 years old, like I said, I didn't even know what psychology or philosophy were that, that they, they weren't fields that interested me. So um when i was 20 there was a recession so i was unemployed for a while so i didn't really have much money i spent a lot of time in my room um just i guess doing average broke 20 year old kid stuff <laughs> yes i could listen to you Greg, working films. <laughs> sounds familiar <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, and i i can remember one of the things i i i um i was um most um I don't know, interested in, I guess, at that time, because I wasn't, I, I wasn't seeing anyone. One of the things I wanted the most was a partner. Yep. So 
that's that's pretty much what I kind of like poured my energy into, like finding a girlfriend and stuff. Because I don't, when I was twenty, I had a few relationships, but nothing really substantial. So mm-hmm. I my 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 kind of my my prize, for want of a better word, was <laughs> a was a substantial relationship with someone who was kind of kind and nice and stuff. So okay, so I, I started to I started to go out with someone. Yep. And this was someone who who I knew, and so I thought because we knew one another, um, we're not going to fall in the, the 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 usual trap of, um, well, w- what happened in my previous relationships where I, I met someone, we found each other attractive, but then the more we found out about one another, we realised that we weren't really compatible. So because because this person, because we knew one another, I thought well we weren't going to kind of fall fall down that trap. So. I just had confidence that we were going to last forever. It was like heaven. Nothing was going to break us apart. It didn't even last three months. Oh, wow. And when it ended, when it ended, <laughs> well, you know, you know, like proper heartache. It was yes. just horrible. Oh, it just, it I feel you. Me. Oh, God. Yeah, it, affect, it affected me really, really badly. At 20, nothing really bad had happened to me. So that was, that seemed to be by far the worst thing that I had kind of gone through. Yep. So I, I guess yep. I, in some ways, I lived this quite sheltered life. Like no one close to me had died or anything. So, you know, so, so that it, it, it hit me really hard to say the least. So, yep. but I thought, well, that's just life. In life, bad things are going to happen. You just have to get on with it as best you can. And that's what I intended to do. So, um, I've, like I said, I've got two older brothers who all stuttered. Well, we, we all stuttered, but my two older brothers, they seem to grow out of their stutters, whereas mine, I made mine a core part of my personality, and I oh. didn't really like myself because of it. I had, like, a really, really low self-esteem. I didn't like talking. Yep. So um, so this the breakup happened. That made me feel even lower about myself. The middle brother, he had just read a book called Psycho-Cybernetics, which is all about positive positive thinking, mental rehearsing and stuff. Yep. And so I thought, he, he recommended this book. He, he had just read it. He recommended it to me. And he, he thought I'd benefit from it. So I read it. And I thought, well, I'll, I was hoping to read it and benefit from, um, from the wisdom I thought it was going to provide. And I thought I was going to just feel better about my stutter. Mm-hmm. That, was my, that, that was my primary goal. That, yeah. that, that's, that's the thing I wanted most from it. So I read the book. It didn't really help with my stutter. But it did introduce the idea to me that happiness comes from within. And uh, that, that was a groundbreaking idea. Because like I said, I didn't know what psychology or philosophy were. So that idea, I hadn't heard that idea before. It was groundbreaking. I, before before I, I was exposed to that idea, I kind of assumed that people were almost emotional mirrors. If something bad happened, you'd feel bad. If something good happens, you'd feel good. So the idea that our emotions were internally generated because of our interpretations, that blew my mind. But then that, that made me question, if happiness comes from within, why am I making myself feel like crap because of this breakup? So then I was able to reframe the event. I was, I was able to see it from another perspective yeah. and I was able to feel better about it. And that, that put me on the path of being able to control my emotions in a much better way than I thought anyone ever could. Because after about three months, I found myself being able to control my emotions to the point of anything bad could happen I was able to feel good straight afterwards. Yeah, wow. So, yeah, oh, no, it was great. It was, yeah. it was great. So, so then, but then that made me question, hold on, if I, can, if I can feel good right after feeling bad, what's the point of feeling bad in the first place? At all. So, yeah, so I started to ask people, and it seemed like no one knew the answer because all the answers I heard didn't make sense to me and my experience, bearing in mind I had lost nothing in 
reducing my bad emotions. I gained everything because my good emotions mushroomed, almost like the bad ones were like holding the back. And by bad emotions, I mean things like uh, sadness, embarrassment, most of the ones that most people would usually agree were uncomfortable. So I know people, when, when I say bad emotions, people just don't let everything, oh, well, who, who, who's to say they're bad or whatever? Well, I'm talking about the ones that most people don't like. Yeah, so, absolutely. I, yeah, okay, so so then I, 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 I found myself having the same circular circular arguments or discussions of people who said that oh, we have bad emotions for this reason and that reason and before long i heard the same 10 reasons over and over uh, again and I, I could easily i yeah i could easily disprove these these 10 reasons so i thought well maybe maybe no one knows maybe i'm never going to find out maybe maybe the the reason why we have bad emotions is is one of the many mysteries of life yeah. and i was happy not knowing i, I was just satisfied that I wasn't doing anything that was like psychically harming myself because I mm. thought maybe there's a chance that there is a good reason that I'm not seeing and I've reduced my bad emotions only to find out that I did need it for this reason yeah so I, I was yeah so I was <laughs> I was um confident that that wasn't going to be the case that wasn't yep. going to be the case so I was just more than happy just controlling my emotions in the way that I was going to so there was no real change in my situation until I until I um I met someone about a year and three months after that. We we became friends. We started talking, and or we started talking, became friends. And I um, I told her about my emotional control. Mm. She asked if I, I could help her control her emotions. I said, well, I could, but it's taken me a year and a half to get to the stage. If I tell you what I did, it might take you a year and a half as well. She yep. said, well, she doesn't mind. She wasn't doing anything. So I started to help her with her emotions, but it was just it was taking a bit too long. So I thought, okay, well, maybe, maybe let, let me, let me look for the shortcut again. If I find a shortcut, maybe, um, well, may, let me look for the real reason again. So if I find a real reason, maybe then I could, I could use that as a shortcut. And so I could get her to my stage mm-hmm. uh, in, um, in a much shorter time than it took me to get to the, get to that stage. So again, I asked people for the reason why we had bad emotions. Again, I heard saying 10 reasons that I knew didn't make sense. Yep. Again, I've frustrated that I was never going to find out but then I saw it then I saw I saw the reason and I was like no way no way can this be true huh. no way can this be true because if this is if this is true if this is true why didn't at least one person say because at that point I, I'd spoke, spoken to at least about I don't know, at least 100 people about yeah. why I have emotions but no one no one said this so I thought well that doesn't make sense why didn't at least one person say this another 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 thing that confused me about finding the truth I thought if this is true how is it one of the great minds didn't see it? Why didn't Newton see it? Why didn't Einstein see it? Why didn't Stephen Hawking see it or Freud? Why? How is it all those geniuses missed didn't it? Didn't see this. But a boy from South London Did. found it. How is, that, how is that possible? So that's what made me explore. That's what made me try to poke holes in it. I tried to find flaws and I couldn't. Wow. Well, look, I can so, tell you right now, you've obviously put up, up in the air the question, what are you talking about? What's the question? No, <laughs> no I wonder. Uh, I'm thinking along the lines of cause and effect. Is there a relationship okay. between cause and effect here? Okay. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe. Okay. So here we go. So let's. Uh, so now, now let's mirror the process that I usually take my clients through. So, do you know what um, Occam's razor is? No, I do not. No. Okay. So Occam, there's a few different versions of it. The 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 two the two most common versions are. Um, it's the idea that the truth 
is usually the most simple of explanations. Ah. So if you have like a few, a few sort of versions or um, uh, options of so-called truths, the most truthful one will probably be the one that's the most simple, the most easiest to follow, the most Got simple, it. The, Got the, it. The, the least complicated one. So that's that's one version of Occam's razor. So another another version is to get to the truth. If you, if you have eight options, if you're able to um, discount or eliminate seven of them, then the one that's left is most most likely the truth. Ah. So so we're gonna we're gonna we're we're gonna talk about bad emotions in an Occam's razor type way. So I'm, right. I'm going to talk about quite a few different possibilities I'm, I'm, I'm going to eliminate the the false possibilities like the, the false theories that lots of people are and believe them to be true mm. so then after i'm going to describe the truth as i see it when i say truth i mean the the one that makes the most sense i think by far one, the, the one that makes makes the most sense that, see this to, to me all of this conversation comes back to this concept this idea that i had earlier about you know constantly being marketed to now use the word marketing in a very loose term it's about how yeah. people are influencing each other and i'm wondering yeah. how is our relationship um important with ourselves in terms of making decisions that are correct or the or the most appropriate for us oh, Ru oh God. yeah well i i think that's that's uh, that that the the relationship with ourselves is is almost infinitely more important than the relationship with anyone else mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's yeah so so if we have a if we have a sensible rational healthy helpful relationship with ourselves then we're then we're sorted yeah we're only not sorted when we don't have a healthy helpful rational sensible relationship with ourselves and then we can get into all types of trouble now tell me a little bit about environment now does it matter um, where somebody lives and the the type of weather they're exposed to or is it just a mindset game above and beyond all else do you think well i would i would have to say i i, I can't imagine it, it's 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 where it's where we live because I lived in a place that's not necessarily considered as nice or <laughs> like I was able to find this yep. and there's, there's, there's people who live in in places that are paradise like who who aren't um, happy at all happy exactly happy also <laughs> yeah because I often think about you know I feel better when it's a nice warm sunny day as opposed to sitting there in the dark gray you know rainy day but you know yeah. again life is all about a perception isn't it yeah exactly. Oh, exactly that's 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 exactly it exactly okay so right so what what I'm going to do Rick what I'm going to do I'm, I'm gonna I'm going to um well first of all do you agree do you agree that since bone and mind there are 10 sensible sounding reasons for the existence of our emotions. We're, we're not going to have time to go through all 10. No. But do you agree that if I can disprove the top three, the three I've heard by far the most, mm. that I'm able to disprove the, the seven that don't make as much sense? Well, you know, just based on the 80-20 rule, absolutely I agree with that. Yeah, good, good. Okay, so just, just to save time. So what, what, what I'll do, I'll, I'll, I'll disprove the top three in detail. I'll then quickly go over three more that sound feasible just so we're not being neglectful yes, yep. i'll then i'll then um i'll then present the the truth like i said the one that i think makes by far the most amount of sense yep. i'll give you i'll give you the opportunity to try to disprove it and i don't think you'll be able to <laughs> well you know what you, you might be the one no no <laughs> one's 
no one's disproved it for, for the last 32 years, but maybe you're the one. <laughs> well, thank you for the credit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Here we go. Here we go. That's fairy, rock and roll. Fairy, fairy number one. Fairy number one is called contrast theory. And that is lots of people believe that bad emotions exist because if they didn't, the good emotions wouldn't be as good. What do you think? I actually think it's more, uh, personally, it's more more chemically structured than that. I don't know necessarily okay. that it's just a thought. I think that possibility of a person's uh, individual makeup, their, yeah. I guess their chemical construct um, yeah. has an impact on the brain and the way it operates. That's yeah. my perception on that. So I can't really be sure whether or not it's right or wrong. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so it, it sounds like what you're saying is that it, it, it depends more on the individual. Yes. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, so just just to disprove that, the, yes, yes, the yes, theory, like I said, that's. Oh, I'm loving this. Yeah, I love so, it. Okay. So, so the, the contrast theory pretty much is someone, someone who I'll, I'll I'll talk about three groups. So the first group is, is the group of subscribers. So that's the that's the group who believes it. Who so believes it? Yeah. I'll I'll then describe um, um, two other groups who can immediately disprove it for two completely different reasons. Right. So and that 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 indicates that it's probably not true because it's not true. true yep. We all part of the same group. So, okay. So someone in group one, someone in group one enjoys a sunny day more because they're enjoying that because they're comparing that sunny day to a rainy day. Yeah. So someone in group one wouldn't want to live somewhere where it's sunny all the time because they think they'd be bored of the sun. They would need the bad weather as a counterpoint so that they can enjoy the sunny weather more. Point of reference. That's, exactly exactly yeah so and, and there are lots of people like, like yep, that so yep. okay so, but someone in group two doesn't need um bad weather to enjoy good weather someone in group two can just enjoy nice weather so mm -hmm. someone that someone in group two could happily live somewhere where it's hot the entire time and they wouldn't be bored it's what they prefer so it that is that, what it is exactly 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 so that that disproves the theory that the contrast has to be there for you to enjoy because mm -hmm. in the second group the contrast isn't there um or it doesn't need to be there to, um, yep. to, to enjoy. Yep. So, um, someone in group three, they they enjoy things less because of the contrast. So someone in group three thinks, well, what's the point of being happy on a sunny day when it's just going to rain tomorrow? Uh, so, yeah, so, so, so I guess that's the more pessimistic view. So someone in group one says the contrast has to be there for them to enjoy. Someone in group two says the contrast doesn't have to be there for them to enjoy. Someone in group three says the contrast, because of the contrast, they enjoy things less. Right. Yeah. yeah. So ho hopefully that disproves the theory. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now that breaks okay. it down really, really well. Okay. All right. So, so theory number two. Theory number two is called the utility or usefulness theory, and that is our bad emotions are there because in certain situations they serve you better than good emotions. So, for example, for example, motivation. Some people think that they are better motivated by their bad emotions than their good emotions. So, if their bad emotions weren't there they wouldn't be as motivated to improve or develop or whatever. What, what do you think? Are you are you better mo motivated by your bad emotions or your good emotions? Uh, you know, I, I look at the cause and effect relationship between how I feel and how I respond to situations. So okay. I'm, I'm, I think I'm naturally oriented to being a, a pessimist, um, <laughs> really? be that right or wrong or indifferent, but that's okay. a reality that I've come to ob observe. So, Fair enough. Fair enough. you know, 
Uh, so I, I would say, you know, I don't necessarily um, use the word motivation all that much because um, yeah. I have, you know, a goal in life, a, a mission, if you were, uh, yeah. if you like. Um, but, you know, I, I, really, again, it comes down to situation for me. Sometimes it yeah. might be, sometimes it might not be. It's yeah. kind of on the yeah. fence, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's on the fence. You highlight the fence. You painted it. You, yeah, no, yeah, that's... Yeah. that's <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll go for the free group still. Yeah, yeah, okay. thank you. Okay. So, so someone in group one, um, and this is just talking about motivation, so I, I yep, can talk about yep. that. Uh, I'll give you a yes or no answer next time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's fine. I, I, I think, so Rick, the more the more detailed you, you answer, then that will surely um, probably echo a lot of what your listeners might be thinking as well. So please just hit me with whatever. Okay, whatever. thanks. Like, yep, that would yep. be most, most, most helpful, I I. I imagine. Okay, I'm so, loving this conversation. Thank you. Oh, good. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. So, um, so okay. So, someone in group one, they can think about doing something bad to someone else. They feel guilt or shame, and then they don't do the thing. So, you can say in that situation, their guilt and shame has successfully motivated them into not doing that less Got than it. ideal bit. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, that's someone in group one. That's, that's someone who thinks that the bad emotion had to be there so that they did the best thing. But someone in group two, they can think about doing something bad to someone else. They feel guilt or shame, but they do the thing anyway. So that yes. proves that guilt or shame aren't effective deterrents all the time, because here that person is feeling guilt or shame, but still engaging in the unsavory act. Okay. Now, someone, someone in group three will do the better thing because of their good emotions rather than not do the bad thing because of their bad emotions, if that makes sense. Yes, it certainly does. Absolutely, yeah. it does. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I I think the um, the emotion or situation that makes the most sense within this theory is fear. I think fear is the only um, only negative emotion that potentially is more useful than a good emotion in a certain situation. Because imagine if you if you're in a dangerous situation and you had to escape or you had to fight, if you're fearful, that will probably activate adrenaline. And you can use that adrenaline to defend yourself or escape. Yes, yes, it's very. It seems it seems very situational. Yeah, oh god, definitely, definitely, yeah. yeah and I, I think it's situational and specific because I think that's the only, um, the only negative emotion that has benefit um, over good emotions, and that's very specific because I think in certain situations you can be fearful, i.e., you think that there's a threat. But because you're fearful in the way that you are, you might be paralyzed by that fear. So yes. that fear, that fear might be getting you into more trouble, not not less, because yeah. then you're you're not thinking straight. You're panicking, and then that so then you could make make mistakes, and those mistakes could be costly. So you're supercharged by this. Every time you say something on this topic, you just light up. Um, I, I can tell you are very passionate about your topics. I, I know that you're, as an author, you obviously have an interest in writing. I'm wondering if we can shift gears and talk a little bit about your writing for a moment. Sure. Okay. What have you written and uh, do you intend to write more? Yeah, well, the, the, the book I'm working on right now is, um, is a book that explains my therapeutic approach. So it's, just, it's, it's a kind of, um, I guess it's a literary version of some of this conversation yeah yep. it sums up my um my discovery the chronology that led to the discovery it then goes into detail about the discovery like it it, it describes it and it, it kind of puts it into a more kind of rational context and how it can be used 
to help people um, get more out of life and see that life 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 could be completely different of completely course. different. it's it almost is. like we're we're because of our misinterpretation of our bad emotions we are in prisons of our own design yeah so, wow, that's profound yeah it? yeah every other theory i've heard about bad emotion can be disproved if you think about it in a certain way so the theory the theory that can't be disproved is, is my discovery so rather than say what the theory is i'm going to ask you two questions oh, and in answering those two questions you're going to be unknowingly telling me what the theory is all i'm going to do afterwards is just give you detail oh okay, okay. so ready okay. question number one question number one why do babies cry usually generally because they're hungry or yeah they, have, okay. they so, need something yes exactly exactly so a baby a baby cries usually generally because there's something they need or want and they can't communicate that need or want in any other way Excellent. Question number two, what is a typical response to a baby crying from the caregiver or someone close to them? Well, it's exactly that. It's a response. It's providing um, what they consider is needed for that child at that Excellent. time. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, right. So, so rephrase and recap. A baby cries usually because there's something it needs or wants and it can't communicate that need or want in any other way, so it cries. So a typical response is that someone tends to the baby, gives them what they need or want, and that stop that usually stops the baby crying. Agreed. Agreed. There we go. So theory number four, that's the the truth, the, the more truthful one, yes, is yes, called yes. is called the baby theory, and it makes clear that the only reason why adults still feel bad is that we needed to feel bad as babies to alert someone that there was something wrong in our environment because there was no other way of us doing it, and that's a process that we are still running. Yes, so it's programmed. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So let's let's imagine let's imagine that ideally a baby is in a state of equilibrium or balance. They have everything they need. So there's the right amount of food in them. The temperatures within within the right range. That feels good. Now, when there's even so all all of the needs are being met. When there's even one unmet need, there's a problem with the food. There's a problem with, problem with the temperature. That doesn't feel good, and um, that triggers a state a state of disequilibrium or imbalance. And because a baby can't say, "Oi, I'm hungry. Can you give me some food, please?" The only thing the baby can do is crudely express the fact that there's something wrong by crying <laughs> yes. with the ideal effect that someone's going to come along and give them, identify the need that's not being met, meet it, and that returns the baby to a state of equilibrium again. So a baby uses that process to ensure that their needs are met as quickly as possible, and it works more times than not. Yes, now, analogy. Yeah, now, now when desires are introduced to the baby and the baby perceives an obstacle to a desire, they now know that bad feelings get results, so they make themselves feel bad, express the bad feeling, and hope that someone's going to come along and give them what they want. That's a process that's running continuously in the background, and we were never taught that that's what we were doing, so we have allowed it to continue to run in the background in an unconscious and um, unknown way. So rather than being taught that that's what we're doing, we're taught these fake reasons for the existence of bad emotions, like the ones that we just disproved and others that we didn't get a chance to disprove. But that's the that's the reason why bad Basis. emotions exist. Wow, that's very almost I don't know if that's the word for it, but almost very primal, isn't it? Exactly. It's very I'm talking, about, I'm, I'm talking about this is the original subconscious program. Yes, that's that's yeah, amazing. That's incredible yeah. feedback. Now, I know yeah. that again, um, you have so much to offer and uh, we just spoke about your book and uh, when when did you say that was going to be available 
it's well i'm i'm putting the finishing touches to it so hopefully any any month now it'll be it'll be available now um uh, do you have like uh, allotted times that you work with people or is it an ongoing open door policy that you work with people faced or online with them yeah open it's, a, it's open door i i usually work with people in a short-term way because i i tend to i tend to experience well lots of most clients don't need a lot of time to get exposure to these ideas and then help with um, condition and healthy response because bad emotions are pretty much a deeply embedded entrenched condition response so once you acknowledge it for the condition response it is it's easy it's easier to, to then condition a healthier more helpful response you know i'm sitting here thinking about the baby analogy and even uh, when i look at myself and i'm whinging and carrying on like a child i will understand that <laughs> this is very base and something that we can you know address systematically and i think that's a really powerful thing that you know yeah. i guess a lot of your clients must get aha, aha moments is that is that what you see most often they, they must get what sorry? aha moments like the the light bulb oh, okay. yeah 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 loads yeah yeah i yeah, mean that's... In, in saying that some some people don't accept it so, so, some people say well i'm, I'm not a baby or whatever but, <laughs> you know, most, most of my clients do do see the sense in it and uh, they do they most of my clients their their minds are blown yeah, absolutely. Well, look, um, it's been a wonderful call. It's been a great treat having you Thank on you. again. Thank we've you. just um, skirt around the edges. Now, if you want to work with Byron, um, make sure you reach out to him at byronathene.com. I'll be making sure that the links back to Byron and all the wonderful work. Take a close look at his website and keep your eye open for his upcoming book. I'm sure we'll be talking about it in the future for sure and certain. And with all that being said, Byron, thank you so very much for joining me on the My Future Business Show today. Thank you. Thank you, Rick.